Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Job chapter 22. We now begin the third round of dialogue. And in this one, we observe the argument of the friends beginning to unravel. They double down, they explore implications, but they don't really bring anything new to the table. And they generally run out of steam in the face of Job's stubborn insistence upon his own innocence. Zophar doesn't even participate in this round. Everyone seems to agree by the end of it that there simply isn't enough evidence to break the stalemate one way or the other. Once again, in this third round, Eliphaz speaks first, and he really is the best of Job's friends. The speeches tend to descend in quality as each round progresses. Eliphaz usually presents the best version of the argument being made, and then Bildad the next best. And then Zophar tends to be very brittle, callous, and uncompromising. And we see that pattern largely repeated here. Eliphaz is stuck. He can't wrap his head around the idea that a righteous person could suffer the sorts of things that Job is suffering. To him, that has to communicate some fault on Job's part. The idea that the universe could be random is completely off the table. No one is making that argument. And and so that seems to only leave two remaining options. Either Job is a great sinner and is simply refusing to deal with it, or God is unjust. He is wrongly persecuting a righteous person. Now, if Eliphaz has to choose between those two options, he is going to choose a just God and a sinful Job seven days a week and twice on Sundays. And so that's what we get here. We get a very passionate appeal for Job to come clean and to admit that he's been the cause of his own terrible suffering. Eliphaz sounds a little bit like a revival preacher here at some points, and and, and there is a great deal of truth in many of the things that he says to dear brother Job. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered and said, Can a man be profitable to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right? Or is it gain to him if you make your ways blameless? Now, here I think we're reminded that we often overstretch our arguments when we're engaged in theological polemics. Eliphaz is reacting to Job's suggestion that God is indifferent, or at least appears to be indifferent, when it comes to human wickedness on the earth. Now, Job overstated his case too. In the last chapter, he was saying that the wicked die rich and happy and fat and their kids and grandkids grow up tall and prosperous and there does not appear to be any reciprocal discipline active anywhere whatsoever upon the earth. Well, of course, that was a gross exaggeration. But there was a grain of truth in it. 
things don't always work out in this world. People don't always reap what they sow, but they often do. Wicked people often do fall into the pit they have dug. Wise people often do prosper and succeed in this life. There is an obvious principle of justice at play in the world. And yet, just as obviously, there are numerous exceptions and a myriad of complications that have to be accounted for. This is a fallen and complicated world. So Job is right and wrong at the same time, and so too is Eliphaz. Eliphaz is right in arguing for the ultimate justice and holiness of God. If there is wrong here, he argues, it surely does not lie with God. Well, Who would want to argue with that? But Eliphaz goes too far. God is so unimaginably holy and so inaccessibly exalted that he is not impacted. He cannot be impacted or take pleasure in anything good that human beings do. That's what Eliphaz says, and it goes too far. Listen, he says, Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right Or is it gain to him if you make your ways blameless? Well, of course, if you're a Bible reader, you know the answer to that actually has to be yes. Eliphaz was hoping for a no there, but it's got to be yes. Eliphaz has reacted to Job's exaggerations with an exaggeration of his own. He has done what we evangelicals seem particularly adept at doing in this day and age— He has pulled his head out of the ditch on one side of the road only to topple face first into the ditch on the other side of the road. Francis Anderson puts it well here saying, Eliphaz reacting against Job's blasphemy that God is indifferent to human wickedness has fallen into an opposite blasphemy of his own that God is indifferent to human virtue. Again, we know that Job's righteousness was a matter of immense pleasure to God, closed quote. Well, so it often is in the late stages of a heated theological debate. We often defend our presuppositions with gross exaggeration and oversimplification instead of admitting that we really don't have enough evidence or enough understanding to penetrate the mystery or the complexity that we have encountered. Job, at least, is looking for answers. But Eliphaz is still scraping the bottom of his proverbial barrel, hoping to find something that will tip the argument in his favor. In verse 4, he says, Is it for your fear of him that he reproves you and enters into judgment with you? Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. For you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. You've given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land, and the favored man lived in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore, snares are all around you, and sudden terror overwhelms you, or darkness so that you cannot see, and a flood of water covers you. Here, Eliphaz is simply taking shots in the dark. He is absolutely convinced that suffering like Job's would only be given out to an extremely sinful man. 
Therefore, he begins to suggest what some of those sins might be. He's trying to coax a confession out of Job. I'll list some sins. You nod your head if this is you. You have given no water to the weary. Nod once for yes, shake twice for no. You have sent widows away empty. You have broken the arm of the fatherless. Come on, Job, get it off your chest. Give glory to God. Come clean, man, and you will be restored. That's what's going on here. Verse 12. Is not God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds veil him so that he does not see, and he walks in the vault of heaven. Will you keep to the old way that wicked men have trod? They were snatched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away. They said to God, depart from us, and what can the Almighty do to us? Yet he filled their houses with good things. But the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad. The innocent one mocks at them, saying, Surely our adversaries are cut off, and what they have left, the fire has consumed. Here, Eliphaz distorts what Job has said. We often do this, too, in the late stages of theological argument. Eliphaz says that Job said that God doesn't see what people are doing down here on the earth. That's why the wicked are getting away with murder. But Job never said that. In in fact, Job complained about how much attention God was paying to people and to him in particular. Back in chapter 7, verses 17 to 18, Job cried out to God and asked him, what is man that you make so much of him that you set your heart on him, visit him every morning and test him every minute? Well, that doesn't sound like a man who is arguing that God doesn't see. It sounds like a man who does not understand what God is doing with what he sees. And that's very different. Eliphaz goes on to say in verse 21, agree with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to him and he will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will decide on a matter and it will be established for you and light will shine on your ways. For when they are humbled, you say, it is because of pride. But he saves the lowly. He delivers even the one who's not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. Everything Eliphaz says here is good, right? I mean, some of it's gold. You, you, you could embroider parts of this on a sheet and hang it in your kitchen, right? This, this is good stuff. It just doesn't apply to Job. One commentator puts it this way. He says, The only thing wrong with Eliphaz's exhortation is that it is completely irrelevant to Job's case. Close quote. I think that's it exactly. Right doctrine, wrong application. Eliphaz is like a doctor who has fallen in love with a certain prescription, and he now gives it out to every patient that comes through the door. But Job's case is special. If, If Job had come in to see Dr. Eliphaz with a bad case of 
reaping what I sow or rapidly advancing case of falling into the pit I have dug, then this would be marvelously helpful counsel. Okay, but that's not what's going on. So this isn't marvelously helpful counsel. And that's a good reminder for us all, all of us who want to serve as friends and counselors to people who are suffering. We need to have more than one bottle of pills in our doctor bag. We, we need to listen carefully to the person in front of us. We, we need to think deeply about what we might be seeing. And we better know all of the potential problems and soul diseases that are out there. And we better be willing to say from time to time, you know, friend, I really don't know why this is happening to you. I know that God is good, but I don't know what is going on here. Can I pray with you? See, that's what Eliphaz should have said. That's what all the friends should have said, and it would have been their comfort. You can't give what you don't have. So just give what you do have and wait for God to show up and give the rest. And as we will see at the end of the book, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.